Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. Did you guys have a good Christmas? Did you get everything you wanted on your wish list? Nobody? All right. Well, it's good to have you here. It's kind of an awkward weekend because last night we had service and it's New Year's Eve and today we have services on New Year's Day, but it is good to be here today. Like Nate said, we're starting a brand new series called Dangerous Prayers and I'm excited for this series. I get to kind of kick things off today. Uh, Pastor Aaron will be preaching the next uh, two sermons in this series. But the whole premise of this series is kind of around the fact that, I'll speak for myself, I have a tendency to pray very weak, anemic, somewhat wimpy, safe prayers, just to be honest with you. And not all of them, but I'd say a, a good, good majority of them tend to fall into that category. Uh, most, most people's prayer life falls into one of two categories. They have, they're either pray prayers of provision or prayers of protection. Those are usually, most prayers fall into one of those two categories. And so we th- say things like, bless me, Lord. You saw some of them on the video. We, we say things like, keep us safe, protect us. We say, bless this food to our bodies. Things like that. Those are not bad prayers. I'm not... I'm not making fun of those prayers. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray those prayers. In fact, the Bible has examples of times where great men and women pray prayers just like that. But if that's the entirety of our prayer life, if it's simply bless me and protect me and those types of things, I think we're missing out on the fullness of what God wants to do in our lives, the intimacy that he wants to have with us. There's a lot of examples throughout Scripture, and we're going to look at three specific ones over the next three weeks where there's men and women who pray very bold prayers, very what we would classify as dangerous prayers, not dangerous in a bad way, dangerous in a bold, audacious way. And so we're going to look at one of those today. But before we get into that, just also you should have gotten one of these on the way in. Kind of looks like an oversized passport a little bit. If, if you got one of these on the way in, if you didn't get one, you can get one at the Resource Center. And it's just, it, there's nothing too crazy about it's just simply a blank pages it's a journal and the reason why we did this is twofold one I'd encourage you maybe take some notes over the next three weeks um, specifically you know on the weekend bring it with you take some notes on the sermons secondly uh, we'd highly encourage you over the next three weeks if you've never done this before I, I would just challenge you to do it nobody's gonna nobody's gonna see this this is just your deal but I challenge you to write out some of your prayers just take, just uh, maybe you've never done that before. I, I think it's something in my life that I've done periodically, not necessarily consistently, but at different seasons of my life. And it's so powerful because one, you really see what you pray about, okay? You really, when you write it down, you got to think about it a little, like it's kind of like, okay, everything I pray about is bless me, you know, provision, you know, all of these things. So you really see that. But secondly, it's so powerful to look back on. You might go three, four months down the road and look back on and say, what was I praying for at the, at, on this day? And to see how God has been faithful is sometimes we don't even see the answered prayers that have, have come to pass because we just forget that we even prayed them. And uh, so there's something powerful in doing that. We'd encourage you uh, to join in with us over the next uh, few weeks. I believe our faith is going to be stretched and emboldened over the next several weeks, and I hope that you uh, will be a part of it. So the first dangerous prayer that we're going to talk about today is found in Psalm 139. If you have your Bibles, you can open up uh, to Psalm 139. 
And there's, just to kind of give a little bit of background on, on this psalm, psalms, you know, they're, they're songs. They're written to be sung. This one in particular was, be, was written to be sung by a mass choir. That was the, kind of the context. And so uh, David wrote this psalm. He didn't write all of the psalms. He, he wrote about 73 of the 150. So about half of the psalms were written uh, by David. And so in this psalm, I believe, it, it, just think of David like he is, you know, he, he's a musician, and that's, he, he is a musician, but like, like if, he, if he was a band, if David, if this was his, you know, 73 of his best songs, I believe this would be his greatest hit. That's my personal opinion. I think this is his, you know, fill in the blank. This is his Hey Jude moment, okay? This is his Hotel California, you know, whatever greatest hit, and don't argue with me. I don't, you might think you have a better Beatles song than that. That's fine. But uh, this is his greatest hit. Because I believe this psalm, maybe more than any other, really sums up his relationship with God. He, it sums up the type of intimacy he has with God. And so, David is a very honest individual all throughout uh, all of his writing. But in this one, we really see clearly just a big picture of what David's life was like. David lived a pretty wild life. I mean, when you really look back on it, he, he lived almost kind of a crazy life. He started out as a shepherd boy. Pastor Aaron preached about this a few weeks ago. But he started out as a shepherd boy, which shepherds were kind of the lowest of the low. That was kind of really far down the totem pole. And then he was selected by God through the prophet Samuel uh, to be the, king, the next king of Israel. He was anointed to be the next king of Israel as a boy. But 15 years would pass before he was actually the king of Israel. And in that time, we see just kind of his climb up the ladder. I mean, he, he killed a lion and a bear. He killed Goliath in that time period. Uh, he became a very famous warrior uh, for Israel. And then eventually became the king of Israel and was extremely wealthy. I mean, some of you might have been with Pastor and I last year when we actually toured and went through what they believed to be David's palace and just just enormous wealth, had everything at his fingertips, very famous, one of the most famous people to ever walk the face of the earth, most documented, one of the most documented people to ever walk the face of the earth. And yet at the top of the mountain, at, at the very height of his game, I mean, he struggled. He, str he had sin issues. He had character flaws. I mean, I'm not just talking about little ones, like he gossiped and lied a little bit. Like, he killed a man. I mean, he had an adulterous affair and got the woman pregnant and then had her husband executed. I mean, that, that's some serious, serious issues. And yet at the end of all of that, God considered him a man after his own heart. This psalm is written towards the very end of David's life, scholars believe, which I think brings a lot, a lot of color to it because this is a man who has lived a lot of life. This is a man who has seen the mountaintops and the valleys and everything in between. This is a man who's been famous. This is a man who's been powerful. And this is a man who's had struggles. And so as we read Psalm 139, we get a clear picture of what his relationship with God looked like. And I think we can take a lot of notes from it today for what our, our, our relationship with God looks like. Psalm 139, I'm going to read the entire thing and then focus on the last two verses. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. 
You hem me in behind and before, and you lay, me, lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Say, man, no matter what, God, you've, you've always been with me, no matter if I've been on top of the mountain or in the valley. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are beautiful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Man, if, if you ever needed a verse, a series of verses that just talk about purpose and identity and how God has uniquely gifted you to do what he's called you to do, that, that's, another, that's another sermon. So verse 17 says, How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. His song kind of goes Metallica for a few verses, I will warn you. But if, you, if only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? Love the rhetorical question he asked God. And abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. And then these last two verses we're going to focus on. It says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David says a ton in this passage, and I'm not going to try to break down everything. In fact, he goes through like dozens of attributes of God throughout this whole thing. But at the very end, I think he gives us a little bit of an insight into what the blueprint of his prayer life really looked like. And this is, this is also echoed in other Psalms all throughout the Bible, but where he simply says, God, search me, know my heart. Is there anything anxious, any anxious thoughts in me? Is there any offensive way in me, lead me to the way everlasting. He's saying this, this is really the way David prayed. It was this, this two-way street. It wasn't just saying, God, here, here are all of my requests. It was this, God, show me, speak to me. In fact, there are four different things that he specifically says to God that we're going to just spend a little bit of time on each of them. But the first thing he says is, is simply, search me, God, and know my heart. Search me, God, and know my heart. Another version says, examine my heart, O oh God. Anybody enjoy, show of hands, anybody enjoy going to the doctor? Anybody enjoy it? Like seven crazy people out there, I guess. I, I, I would sympathize with most of the people that are not raising your hand. Uh, I am not, I'm not scared of the doctor, uh, but I'm not like scared of needles. I just, I don't enjoy anything about going to the doctor. I, I, I get nervous, like for some reason, like I'm going to get 
scolded or like going to the dentist and they're going to tell me I don't floss or something like that. Like, you need to floss more. I I just, I don't, I don't like anything about it. And so about a year ago, I had what they call a consultation with the doctor. It was for a potential surgery. And so they said, it's just a consultation. It'll be really fast. And so in my head, I've never had a, what they call a consultation. I didn't really know. But I, in my head, thought this is like a meet and greet with the doctor, okay? So I'm going to meet him. Some of you are laughing because, you know, he's going to meet me, maybe ask me a few questions, and out I go. And maybe we'll even have cookies. I don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> so I get in the room, and the, the nurse says, you can sit up here on the butcher paper, you know, basically. <laughs> and uh, which I'm like, what? can I just sit in a chair if this is a consultation? And, and then she hands me one of those paper robes, you know, the backless kind, really cool, and hands me and says, the doctor will be in in just a minute. You can go ahead and put this on. I said, hold on a second. I said, I thought this was a consultation. What, why do I need to put a robe on? Like, what, what's going She's like, well, there's a, he, he does a little bit of an examination as well. I'm like, well, then call it an examination. <laughs> I I have not mentally, certainly not emotionally prepared for an examination. I, and I don't, I, I have flashbacks to high school of having, you know, an annual physical to be in sports. I just, I like nothing about that, okay? So, so in walks the doctor, and that day he happened to have a nursing student with him that was going to shadow him. And he's like, is it okay if she is in? No, but... <laughs> I, I didn't say that. I was trying to be nice. I'm like, because at that point, I don't even really know what's about to happen. <laughs> and I'll save you any more details and just simply say it was like a full physical, okay? It was vulnerable, awkward. And I like nothing about it. And I think that's, that's really at the heart of why most of us, I, I think, shy away from that, those type of scenarios. It's just very awkward. And then the worst part about it is that you kind of, in the back of your head, fear a little bit, like, is there something that's going to be the matter with me? Is there something going to be, is the doctor going to tell me some life-altering news? Is there something that's, man, I, I don't like anything about that. David, I, I am going full circle with this, but David asks God, spiritually speaking, to examine his heart. He says, I invite you to do that. I don't know a lot of people that invites somebody to examine them. That's just not something that we enjoy. We push away from that. But David says, no, 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 God, is there anything in my heart that shouldn't be there? And when we pray that prayer, it's a dangerous prayer prayer to pray because God is going to show you some things. I mean, our hearts at a very fundamental level are extremely wicked. The Bible even says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, this is, not, this is a bit of a downer of a verse. It says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? That's, that's what our heart looks like. And David says, I know that about me. I've had many times that I've had really bad, wicked sins. But God, I'm at the end of my life and I know that I every day need to wake up and say, God, search my heart. Is there anything in there? Because the reason why we get examined, the reason why we go to the doctor is because if there's anything in our body that could kill us, we want to know about it so that it can be remedied. I mean, that's, that's really why we go to the doctor is so that we can continue living. David says spiritually, God, I go to you because is there anything in there that could kill me? Is there any, anything in there that could lead to my destruction? 
What would happen if we asked that question consistently to God? What would happen if every day we said, God, search my heart? It's not, that's the very vulnerable, very dangerous prayer to pray. But I contend that we would experience a completely different level of intimacy with God. I believe it would break through a lot. Uh, I mean, first of all, God already knows. He already knows. But when we invite God into our heart, when we invite him even into the dark corners of our heart, there's something powerful that takes place when we do that. Search me, O God, and know my heart. The second part, he says, is test me and know my anxious thoughts. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. What makes you anxious? You know, what, what are you afraid of? I'm not talking about snakes and spiders or the guy behind the shower curtain that's never there, but you know, like, I'm not talking about that kind of spook. But like, what, what do you worry about? If I'm just to be perfectly honest and a little bit vulnerable, I, I worry about a lot of things something consistently in my life that, that will pop up from time to time is, and I don't tell a lot of people like what my worries are. I'm, I'm pretty closed off about that, to be honest with you. But like I, there's a lot of things that I spend day after day just on my mind, just kind of in the back part of my mind, just worrying about. I mean, I, since becoming a dad eight years ago, I, I tell you, there's certain things that really amp up when it comes to just, am I going to be able to provide for my family, you know, there's things, are my kids going to turn out okay? Like, there's genuine things that we worry about. And I think if we're all honest, we all have moments of anxiety and worry. I think David was very much that way. I mean, when you read through a lot of the different psalms that he wrote, you see a guy who, who seems like a little bit in over his head, like desperate and like a little bit anxious, and I imagine that David must have spent a lot of nights just laying awake, just worrying, thinking about different things. He's a little bit more mature in his faith now when he writes this, and he says, God, just test my, test my thoughts, my anxious thoughts, as if to say, God, I give them to you. I give you my anxiety. I give you my worry. I read an article a few years back that um, it talked about the things that we worry about, and it was kind of eye-opening to me. It said, um, statistically speaking, I don't know how they get these numbers, but it said, statistically speaking, 40% of all the things that we worry about uh, will never happen. 30% of the things that we worry about have already happened. We're about things that are in the past that we have no control over. 12% of the things that we worry about are the opinions of other people. Again, no, you get no control over that. And 10% of the things we worry about are about health issues which doctors would actually say, medically speaking, that can make your health issues worse, not better, when you worry about them. So 92%, when you add all that up, 92% of the things that we worry about are things that we shouldn't be worrying about. They're either insignificant, will never come to pass, or you can't do anything about them. I spend a lot of nights running scenarios in, in my mind, and I, it makes me keenly aware that so often the things that I fear the most, the things I worry about the most, are the areas that I'm trusting God the least. The areas where I spend day after day thinking about, you know, can I provide for my family? That's, that's God saying, you know what, Ryan, you, you don't provide for your family. I, I provide for your family. Do you trust me in that? Or maybe it's protection for your children. 
Man, I keep them safe, God. I pray, and that's a good prayer to pray. But when I become worried and concerned about that, it's as if I'm saying, God, I don't trust that you're going to take care of them. I don't believe that you're going to watch over them. That they're first children of yours before they were ever children of mine. That's why David asked God to test and know his anxious thoughts. God, let my trust in you grow so that my fears, my worries, my anxieties can diminish. The third thing that David says, see if there is any offensive way in me. See if there is any offensive way in me. Essentially, God, show me my weaknesses. Show me my sin. Show me my character flaws. Show me where I'm headed down a bad path. Maybe it's not even sinful at this time, but it could definitely get there. God, show me my weaknesses. So often I think we're unaware of what some of these weaknesses are, what some of these, even sometimes we don't even realize that we're sinning. I think most of the time, a lot of times, yes, we, we know full well, but there's times where we don't even realize what we're doing. I mean, that, that's, that's what a blind spot is. Uh, that, that's, I think many of us, all of us, in fact, I heard Bill Hybels give a talk, and he talked about blind spots, and he said, every person, on average, according to some study, has 3.4 blind spots. Now, I have no idea how they come up with that number, uh, but there's people that would immediately hear that and probably say, no, I don't, and that, that's your blind spot. Yes, yes, you do. We all have things that we're not aware of. Uh, about five years ago, the staff here at Life Church, we did something called 360-degree reviews. Anybody ever done a 360 review, they are awful. Um, I'll just be honest with you. Like, they're good. They, they are, actually are very constructive and very beneficial, but it's a painful process because uh, you have all of your peers kind of rate you and comment about how you, and anonymously, that's the part that gets me because I just want to know just who, who said that, you know, type of thing. And it was a good process, and everybody was nice and cordial. Nobody, you know, it wasn't a nasty process at all. But everybody got their kind of review back, and we kind of went through it. And I remember reading mine, and I remember one of the first comments that most people have a lot of positive comments, okay? But those are not the ones that we look at. We look at what are the, what are the digs, what are the things that are like, okay, and I'm trying to figure out based on the wording who wrote that and, you know, whatever. <laughs> Well, one of, the, one of the ones I see is Ryan has a tendency to shut out other people's ideas. I immediately said, no, I do not. <laughs> I, you know, like I, it, it was like, what are you talking about? That's, and so I was like, yeah, that's one comment. I keep reading. I see that type of comment another time. I see that type of comment a third time. I see that type of comment a fourth time. And then I'm like, well, they probably all got together and they, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're in to get me. And it actually, it was a few days of being pretty frustrated by that. And there were some other comments, but that one, for some reason, that one really stuck out to me. And I remember after a few days, just realizing, you know what, I, I, I do do that. I, I am guilty of that. And what am I going to do to change that? It's a vulnerable thing to do, to ask God, God, is there anything offensive in me? Is there, any, is there a blind spot? Is there something... I'm not seeing. Is there a pattern? God, point out my sin. Point out my weaknesses. There's a few questions that we can ask to help do this because so often it's not, at least in my life, it's not God audibly saying, Ryan, you are weak in this area. And you, you know, it, it's not so much that, but it's 
oftentimes through other people, it's through circumstances, it's through over and over feeling the sense of, you know, that, okay, this is what God is trying to communicate to me. So one thing you can ask is, what are others telling me? You know, are there more than one person that's saying something specific about me? Um, I, over the last six months, there's been something specific in my life that I've heard come up three, four times now. And I'm like, okay, God, you're trying to get my attention in that area. And I've self-reflected on that a little bit and said, God, what do, I, what do I need to do to fix that? What are others telling me, too? What have I rationalized for a while? Maybe you've, there's something specific that it's like, ah, that's not that big of a deal, okay? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not materialistic. I just, I just like nice things, you know? I'm, I don't have a critical spirit. I'm just, I'm just a blunt person, kind of wear that as like a badge of honor. Or I'm not prideful. I, you know, I just can't help it that I'm just really good at a lot of things, you know? Like, I, again, going back, our heart is one of the most deceitful things. We deceive ourselves. And thirdly, what am I the most defensive about? When it gets brought up, what do I kind of fly off the handle about, about something in me? It's probably a blind spot. It's probably something that's a weakness that everybody else sees, but you don't see. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And the last thing he says is this, lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way everlasting. Now that God has searched my heart and covered my fears, revealed my sins, that David is saying, God, show me a better way. What do I do about it now, essentially, is what he's saying. Okay, this is something that I feel like you're pointing out as a weakness in me. Now, how do I fix it? How do I get better at it? How do I allow you to become greater in my life in, in that particular area? So that, that, that area d- diminishes. How do I allow you to take control in this area? I believe this last little, little statement, lead me in the way everlasting, is all about action. It's all about, the, the first three are not so much that way. It's saying God simply just, you know, work in me, see in me, reveal in me. But the last one is now rubber meets the road. What am I going to do about it? God, show me a better way. James 1, through 25, it says, but don't just listen to the word. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the, uh, to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. You know, there's times where it's just simply about doing what the word of God says. It's, it's taking action. As we go into the new year, as, you know, first day of 2017 is such a good time. Uh, to, you know, I think resolutions are great things to make. I, I think we should be very retrospective, and then we should be very much, uh, we should look into the future, we should project into 2017, we should set goals. All of that is, is really, really good. But this next year, God, what, what are the things in me that need to change? Show me a better way. There's a book by uh, Dr. Henry Cloud. He's a psychologist, and it's called Power of the Other Side. And in that book, uh, he talks about a friend of his who was an alcoholic for years, and this friend had just destroyed marriages, had destroyed businesses he had started, had just kind of self-sabotaged. It was just not a good situation. And finally, one day, I don't know what happened, but he just decided, you know what, I'm getting sober. And uh, 20 years later, 
this guy has not had a drink of alcohol in 20 years. He's been completely sober. And Henry Cloud asked him, he said, what was, how did you do that? What was the secret to, to, to doing that? And he said, it was, it was simple. I, for several weeks, right away, I, I went to three AA meetings a day. He's like, a day? Yeah, a day. I had to. I had to go in the morning, and then I tried to make it three, four hours without having a drink, and then I go to another meeting, go three, four hours without having a drink, and then go to another meeting, and then I just do that cycle all over again. And he, he went for week after week after week doing that, and he's like, finally got to a place where I felt a little stronger, and I went down. I just did one AA meeting a day. Did that for years. And he's like, now I'm at the point where I, I feel like I'm, I, I'm not really... I'm a lot stronger than I used to be in that area, and so I go to two AA meetings a week. Still, 20 years later, this guy is still actively doing something because he knows that this is a trap. He knows that this is an area of weakness, and so he is active about it. David prays, God, show me a better way. Maybe today, I don't, I don't know, there's a lot of different scenarios in here. There's a lot of different issues that we might be dealing with. Maybe it's, maybe it's anger. Just kind of fly off the handle o- over just little things. In 2017, what better way would God show you? What can you do about it to get better in that area, to improve? What, you know, maybe your heart is filled with greed and it leads to overspending and you have financial issues because of it. God, show me a better way. Maybe it's taking financial peace uh, here at the church. Maybe, you know, that's a lot of people do that because they say, God, I, I just, there's got to be a better way. Show me a better way. Have a, maybe you have a critical spirit. It drives people away. It's hard to maintain relationships. Maybe God's speaking that to you. Well, what are you going to do this next year? To just, just end that. God, show me a better way. Search my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, we thank you that you still search our hearts, that you're all-knowing, all-powerful, and and today you search every one of our hearts if we simply ask you to. God, I pray that this prayer that David prayed would be at the forefront of 2017, that when we wake up in the morning, God, it would be a part of our regular routine to say, God, search my heart.